There was an article that was written about a mother who is trying to find a spouse for her son. What loving mother doesn't want the best for her son, right? Well, this mother and son are said to be the best of friends, and just like any thoughtful best friend who can be nosy at times, her mother relentlessly seeks to find the perfect woman for him. She even sets him up on dates. She brags about him to her friends who have daughters his age. And she even recently launched an online dating site called Date My Single Son. Can you imagine that? They just need to do no. All right. So she set it up and uh, the, to expand the scope of potential suitors for her son. And she wrote, "I was not trying to uh, uh, start a scientific matchmaker service like eHarmony.com. I was doing it like a mother would. I know what my child wants and needs. Right? Matchmaking moms and parents exist all." across all kinds of cultures and times, including arranged marriages. And this morning, we're going to be looking at a mother-in-law and her matchmaking schemes for her widowed daughter-in-law, Ruth. I would ask you to please open up your Bible with me to uh, the book of Ruth, chapter 3. We're continuing in our series in the book of Ruth, and this is found on page 280, 280 in the church Bibles. Please follow along as I read Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. This is God's holy, infallible, life-giving, and life-transforming word. Again, Ruth chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman, with whose maids you were. Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet, and lie down, then he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. It happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask, for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good. 
let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one who'd recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Again, he said, give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. And so she held it and, he's, and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. And then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did it go, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. She said, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And then she said, wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of God's holy word. Let us pray together. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for the blessing that we have of gathering in your name this morning. We thank you for setting aside this day that we may worship you and serve you, to lift up our prayers, to lift up our songs to you, and to hear the word of God. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to listen to the Spirit preached this morning through your vessel as we hear your word. Help us, Lord, to leave changed and to leave obeying you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we begin to look at God's word this morning, we will first see Naomi's resolution to be rescued. Naomi's resolution to be rescued. She was determined to get rescued from her difficult circumstances. And as a way of a quick recap this morning, we have this woman by the name of Naomi who was married to a man named Elimelech. Elimelech, Elimelech was an Israelite man from the tribe of Judah. And he died, leaving his wife Naomi with two sons. Each of his sons married Moabite women, even though God's word had forbidden these unequally yoked marriages outside of the tribes of Israel, because these Moabites had worshipped false gods. Naomi's sons also died, leaving Naomi with just her two daughters-in-law, who had no children of their own. These three widowed women were in a very difficult situation. Orpah returned back to Moab at the urging of Naomi, but Ruth refused to leave her mother-in-law, Naomi, and said in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die... I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. This is where we see that Ruth has refused to trust in the false gods of Moab, and she has decided to put her trust in the Lord, the one true God, instead. This is a beautiful picture of loving commitment and trust by Ruth, but it did not take away the fact that they were still feeling a, a sense of loss and emptiness because they were, be, they were widows. Naomi, in particular, was not only mourning the loss of her husband, but she was mourning the loss of her sons. And to make matters worse, they were dealing with a famine. The, the women had little to no resources in terms of earning much of a living, and there was a desire for relief 
from their sorrow and relief from their difficult situation. In the first few verses of chapter 3, we see that Naomi desired to seek seek, uh, rest and security for Ruth. It was a desire for rest from their sorrows and a desire for security for their future. But it all revolved around a desire for a relationship. She had a desire for a relationship for Ruth with Boaz, a relationship with Boaz. And Naomi, the mother-in-law, was trying to be this matchmaker between Ruth and this man, Boaz. Can you imagine your mother-in-law trying to set you up? (laughs) We're able to see from our passage that Boaz was a kinsman. This kinsman meant that he was a close relative and their only hope for relief was to be rescued was in a relationship with a close relative that might redeem them. It is said that a kinsman redeemer was a close male relative who, according to the various laws of the Old Testament, who had the privilege or opportunity to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble or danger or need. It was in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 49, that says that a person may redeem by one of his own blood relatives. Naomi's hope to be rescued through a relationship was also based on the law of leveret marriage found in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5 and following. It says that the Israelites were commanded to care for those women whose husbands died before they had any children. An unmarried brother of the deceased man bore the responsibility to marry his sister-in-law. God's purpose for Leverett marriage is stated the first son she bears to carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. In ancient Israel, the passing on of the family name and the inheritance with a tribe were vitally important. In Ruth chapter 2 verse 1, we learn that Naomi had uh, a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So we see, as we see the story progressing, we hear about this man named Boaz. And perhaps Naomi saw Boaz as a way to be rescued. Perhaps she thought Boaz, being a man of great wealth, would be able to provide them relief and security if only Boaz would become Ruth's kinsman redeemer. Our passage shows Naomi's risky plan for this to happen. Naomi would not try, not quit trying to be a matchmaker uh, that would rescue both Ruth and Naomi. So we see Naomi's risky plan begin to unfold in these first verses of chapter 3. Naomi informed Ruth that Boaz would be winnowing barley at the threshing floor that night. So she was aware of what was going on with Boaz. She was keeping track of his steps. She knew what was going on with his life. One of the first risky things that she was asking Ruth to do was to return to the threshing floor. This was not the first time that Naomi had tried to get Ruth married off. Remember back in Ruth chapter 1 that Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, you both, you need to go back to your own mother's house. She said, may the Lord grant that you find rest in each the house of your husband, that you would find a husband for yourself there. That made sense, right, to her. That was their best chance of getting a husband. Orpah decided to go back to Moab, but Ruth, she refused to go back by committing herself to Naomi, the one true God of Naomi. 
It would look like Naomi would do whatever it took to get Ruth married off. And so we see that Ruth, or see that Naomi came up with this risky plan for Ruth to return to the threshing floor. Now certainly Naomi knew that there were risks associated with her plan. Looking ahead to verse 14, we can see that it was not appropriate for a woman to come to the threshing floor. It says it right there in our passage. There was a great risk of her being physically harmed or even raped by others. In chapter 2, we see that Boaz knew of the potential harm to Ruth and commanded his servants not to lay a hand on her. And Naomi herself knew the risk as she warned Ruth in verse 22 to stay close to uh, the maids of Boaz so that others would not uh, fall prey on her. There was not only the risk of her going to the threshing floor where all the men were, but even more of a risk for Ruth going there at night. There was a risk of her ruining Ruth's reputation. People may have uh, seen and wondered why a woman was showing up at the threshing floor. They may have assumed the worst, thinking that she was showing up as a prostitute among these men who were celebrating the end of a hard day's work. Naomi was asking Ruth to show up secretly at the threshing floor and notice where Boaz would be laying down for the night. Naomi wanted Ruth to not only notice where he laid down for the night, but to go back to where he was and lay down at his feet and then uncover his feet and lay down there. And then perhaps the riskiest thing of all, Naomi tells Ruth to do what Boaz requires of you. Do whatever Boaz requires of you. What if Boaz acted in an inappropriate manner? What if Boaz raped Ruth? What were these risks, the risks that Naomi was willing to take with her daughter-in-law? Naomi was trusting that her risky plan would, would be resourceful enough and somehow work out. But how would Ruth react to this plan? Maybe she would have responded and said, uh, I don't think so. I don't think going to the threshing floor is a good idea. I don't, I, and at night, are you kidding me with all those men? Are you, I don't think so. But that's not what happened. Would she follow through with this plan? Or would she think that Naomi's plan was a little bit risky or it was even a bit risque? But Ruth had a steadfast love and a commitment to her mother-in-law, Naomi. What we see next is Ruth's respectful compliance. Ruth's respectful compliance. Ruth did not reject Naomi's risky plan, but said to Naomi in verse 5, all that you say, I will do. All that you say, I will do. Wow, she really was showing honor to her mother-in-law, wasn't she? She was trusting in Naomi's risky plan. That was an unwavering love and commitment by the part of Ruth. And the very first part of Naomi's risky plan is found in verse 3, where she tells Ruth, to refresh herself. It seems even more risky or risque. Naomi told Ruth to get washed up and to anoint herself and to put on her best clothes. Some commentators look at this and say that uh, Ruth was t wanting to show Boaz that she was no longer mourning the death of her husband. Uh, they state that this was her way of showing that she was now ready and available to be married. Others say that she was still, that this 
It was still part of Naomi's risky plan to make sure that Ruth used every advantage that she could to encourage a positive outcome. But would it be too much? Would it be interpreted as being provocative or seductive? Perhaps in this day, we might think so. Sadly, this is the way of our sinful world. Girls and women are taught by this sinful world that, we, that this is the way to get a man. Dress in, in a very inappropriate way or whatever. This is how advertisers sell cars and clothing and just about anything else. And perhaps this is the risky approach that Naomi had conjured up with Ruth. But Ruth was respectfully agreeing to do it. So we see that Ruth refreshed herself. Ruth refreshed herself and did everything that her mother-in-law commanded her, including returning to the threshing floor. In verse 7, we get a picture of what Ruth was getting herself into. It says that when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went down to lie down at the heap of grain. And it was a time of celebration. They were coming out of a famine where they were now reaping a harvest of grain. Boaz was there with his workers. They were celebrating. They were eating and drinking. Some commentators want to look at this and then they're interpreting, interpreting that this may have been a time of excessive drinking or getting drunk. They argue that Boaz had a heart that was merry and that that would mean that he was intoxicated. But if we look how the author portrays Boaz in his words and actions, we might argue that he was not intoxicated or drunk at all. We can see that the word for merry means pleased or satisfied or in a good way. Boaz was enjoying a celebratory meal and most likely drank wine to accompany his meal. And it w I would argue that Boaz was, as it states in chapter 2, a man of, of great wealth who owned the fields. And he would not want to do anything that would jeopardize anything happening to his grain. If he was drunk, that would leave himself open to someone coming and stealing his grain. It is likely the reason that he was there at the threshing floor with the heaps of his grain was to guard it from being stolen. So I would argue that he was not intoxicated or drunk, um, but celebrated in a God-honoring way by eating and drinking the first fruits of his labor. And now he would lay down and rest for the night. We continue to see Naomi's risky plan unfold, and it says that Ruth secretly uh, approached the place where Boaz was sleeping and she uncovered his feet and laid down at his feet just like Naomi told her to do. Again, there have been some commentators who want to interpret this in a risque way. Some argue that Naomi was telling Ruth to initiate an inappropriate uh, gesture in, in, in hopes of intimacy. Again, as we examine the words of our text, it says that Ruth uncovered just his feet and lay down. She uncovered his feet and nothing more. And Boaz would have, to, um, would have had a cover on himself that night because it, in this climate, it was hot during the day, but it was extremely cool in the evening as they slept. And it seems more likely that Naomi's risky plan was for Ruth to quietly approach Boaz and to uncover his feet in order for Boaz to wake up. That was the point. Uncover his feet so that he would wake up. For you married couples, you know what it might be like when your spouse rolls over and takes the blankets and the, your feet get uncovered and you wake up and you, and you want to roll back over and grab the blanket back from your spouse, right? You get it because you get chilled. You want to get back under the covers. And as the story unfolds, we are able to see a righteous interaction between Boaz and Ruth. 
Hollywood would not have liked this story at all. They, they don't want to do the story of Ruth. They would like make it all uh, very risque and terrible. But we see, we're able to see a righteous interaction between Boaz and Ruth. And the first reaction that our passage clearly states is that Boaz was startled. He was startled because he wasn't expecting anyone there to be laying at his feet, let alone a woman. Perhaps you can uh, picture with me this, the scene as it slowly unfolds. First, Boaz starts to unwaken because his feet are cold and he realizes that his cover, the, the cover over his feet is not there. Then he gets a waft of the sweet perfume of a woman up his nose. What is going on, he says. He sits up and he bends over and he's, he's shocked to see this woman laying down at his feet. He is unable to clearly identify the woman since it is dark in the middle of the night. But he knows it's a woman because of the smell of her perfume. And Boaz then asks this woman to reveal her identity. Tell me, who, who are you? And he asks her to reveal her identity because there was no good reason for a woman to be there at the threshing floor, especially in the middle of the night at his feet. Perhaps Boaz knew the story of Joseph, who was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Boaz did not want to have his reputation ruined by some woman trying to seduce him or falsely accuse him. And before Boaz could even get up and run or call for his male servants for help, the woman replies saying, I am Ruth. I am Ruth, your, your maid, your servant. She quickly and humbly revealed her identity as the same servant girl that he had met earlier. This was the same young woman that he inquired about in chapter 2, saying to his servant who was, who was in charge of the reapers, who is this woman? The servant in charge said, this is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. This was the same woman that he got to know briefly and that he had shown kindness to. It was the same woman named Ruth who was laying at his feet. Again, before he could say another word, Ruth strays from Naomi's risky plan and comes up with a risky plan of her own. If you remember, Naomi said to Ruth to uncover his feet, and then he will tell you what you are to do. Well, Ruth boldly tells Boaz to do something for her. Ruth humbly but boldly says to Boaz, Boaz, spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Was he merely cold and wanted part of his blanket? I don't think so. No, Ruth was using the same language that Boaz used in chapter 2, verse 12. These, these words of spreading your covering are the same words that Boaz used when he said to Ruth, May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. The word for covering and, the, and the wings is one and the same. Ruth is humbly declaring to Boaz that the Lord had provided a place of refuge under the wings, covering, and shelter and protection of Boaz. Ruth came to take refuge under his wing, and, and as strange as this may seem, this was Ruth's risky yet resourceful request to Boaz for marriage. Ruth was asking Boaz to marry her. This was Ruth's request for marriage. And you may be asking, well, how is that a marriage proposal? Well, someone wrote, imagine a couple of thousand years from now, and they're trying to explain the significance of our engagement rituals here in the United States of America. They would look back and say that men used to save up a lot of money 
and, and, and buy a rock, and, and a very shiny one, and then they would, they would pay to have that rock fastened to a piece of metal and made it to a ring, and they would, they would super nervously get down on one knee and ask a woman to accept this rock. And uh, she would start crying tears of joy, and assuming she said yes, he would place the rock on her finger. And that started the process whereby the people would be together for the rest of their lives. <laughs> a rock, right? Seems fairly normal and romantic to the people from our culture here in the United States, but imagine people from another culture and another time looking down at that and going, wow, that is really strange. A rock, you give a woman a rock, and that's your offer to to marry her. Well, that is how it may look very strange and unusual for, for this marriage proposal by Ruth to Boaz. Yet, yet even in their culture of that day, a woman was not to propose marriage to a man. What Ruth did was very risky. What if Boaz said no? What if Boaz said no? Then she might have been known as the woman who proposed to a man, ruining her reputation and never ever getting married again. We see in verse 9 that she not only revealed who she was, she revealed who Boaz was. She said to Boaz, Boaz, you are a close relative. The word that Ruth used here is the Hebrew uh, goel, which means kinsman redeemer. And this was all a part of Naomi's risky plan for Ruth to go to the threshing floor and lay at the feet of Boaz, who was the kinsman redeemer. Because Boaz was a close relative, he might have an opportunity to rescue and redeem Ruth and Naomi as well. And by God's grace, Boaz resisted any temptation. Can you imagine a woman, a young, attractive woman, coming to the threshing floor at night? How that must have been. Boaz, however, resisted any temptation that might ruin her reputation or his as well. Instead, we see that Boaz has a righteous response. He immediately says to Ruth, may, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter, and do not fear. Ruth's fears may have been, what if Boaz said no? What if, what if he thought that she was being too forward, too provocative? There were all kinds of reasons that Boaz could have said no or should have said no. He was, he was an Israelite. She was a Moabite. He was rich. She was poor. He was older. She was younger. Yet God graciously allowed Boaz to overcome these differences, telling Ruth in verse 10, Ruth, you have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. He, in essence, declared his love for her, saying that he would do whatever she asked and called her a woman of excellence. He used the same words that we find in Proverbs 31, a woman of excellence. And speaking that woman of excellence, he was calling her a godly woman. Even though she did something that was risky and, and what may have looked inappropriate by showing up at the threshing floor in the middle of the night, she was still a godly woman. She may have been once an idol-worshipping Moabitess, but now she was a godly wom woman who was trusting and following the one true God of Israel, the God of Boaz. He knew that she was a woman of excellence because she was not going after these younger men. She believed that God would provide her with Boaz as a righteous kinsman redeemer. And Boaz declared that he was willing to redeem her. 
Boaz was willing to redeem her. Things were looking really good, but there was one more hurdle. There was one more obstacle on the way. Boaz had, had also already done his homework. He had an interest in Ruth, but he knew that there was this other nearer kinsman, this nearer relative. He, had, he already found out that there was another closer relative, um, and the other relative had first dibs on to redeem Ruth, so to speak. Boaz, being a godly man, had to do the right thing. He would find out if this other male relative would step up and redeem Ruth. And if not, Boaz said that, that he would be her redeemer. Boaz showed his love for Ruth and that he was still concerned about her reputation. And he told her to remain there for the night for her safety and for her reputation. There was nothing inappropriate going on, and the author states that she just lay down at his feet until morning before anyone could recognize her. And as a token of his love for Ruth, he doesn't give her a diamond ring, but gives her a blessing of an abundance of grain and tells her not to go back to her mother-in-law empty-handed. And when she came home to her mother-in-law, who was probably up all night long, by the way, wondering how it was going on, Naomi said to Ruth, how did it go, my daughter? How did it go? Did my plan work? What happened? And she proceeded to tell the story of how her risky plan turned out to be a beautiful and pure proposition for marriage. And Ruth told her that the deal was not quite done yet. There was another closer relative who had the right to redeem her first. And Naomi gave some encouraging advice to Ruth, saying, wait my daughter, wait until you know how the matter turns out, for the man Boaz will not rest until he has settled the matter today. When we look at our passage today, we, we see it's, this, it's, a, it's an amazing, wonderful love story between a Moabite woman and an Israelite man, but it is so much more than that. It is God's loving redemption plan. It is it is a picture of God's loving redemption plan. It is an amazing story of a love that Jesus, who would be the love, the many great, great, great grandson of Boaz and Ruth. So I, spoiler alert, I already blew the story if you didn't know the end of the story. Boaz and Ruth, you get together. So we'll find out that next week. But he came, Jesus came to be the bridegroom for his bride. It is an amazing story of love that shows Jesus as our Redeemer pursuing his bride. Yet God's word shows that we do not deserve to be redeemed. We do not deserve to be pursued. God's word reveals who we are. We are just like Ruth who was born with a sinful nature. We are born with a sinful nature and we have a need to have our relationship with God restored. The background to Ruth is that she came from the Moabite people who were one of the enemies of Israel and an enemy of God. Perhaps you know the story of where Moab came from. Moab came from an incestuous relationship between Lot's older daughter and her father Lot. You can read about this horrible situation in Genesis chapter 19. Lot's daughters did not trust God to provide them with a husband in order for them to have children. Instead, they, they took it upon themselves to get their father Lot drunk and lay with him. And Lot's oldest daughter conceived and named her first son Moab. 
And so we are able to see the sinful generations that follow. Moab became a nation that continued to not put their trust in God and worshiped and served a false gods, false gods instead. Ruth knew that she was born as a sinful enemy of God, just like you and me. And yet, just like Ruth, we need to recognize that we need a redeemer who will rescue us and redeem us from our sin. We need a kinsman redeemer who will restore us back into a right relationship with God. And that kinsman redeemer can only be Jesus, God the Son. There is no other kinsman. We, we might try and pursue other relationships, trying to find security and hope in this life, but only Jesus is able to redeem us. Jesus, God the Son, became man to be our kinsman redeemer. He came into this world to pay the penalty for our sin that we deserve, that death on a cross for our sins. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says that Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 says that we were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that we have been bought with a price. God loves us so much that he sent Jesus, God the Son, to come and betroth to himself a people and to redeem us with the price of the blood of Jesus. And our response our response to this amazing love is to lovingly submit and obey Jesus as our kinsman redeemer. Let us pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for this amazing story. It's more than just a, a love story, more than just a, a story of a marriage between a Moabitess and an Israelite man. We know, Lord God, that you brought this relationship about so that Jesus would come into this world to be born of a woman so that we might, he might live a perfect life, that he might go to the cross and die for our sins, that we might have our lives, have our sins redeemed, that we might be his. We thank you, Lord God, that you are our redeemer. We thank you that we can put our trust in you and you alone and for your plan for us. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would bless us and be reminded of the fact that there are no relationships outside of you that will be satisfying. So we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to put our trust in you. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen.